Hey, TSL fam, quick production note about today's episode. Lorian was out for this week, so I jumped to the co-hosting chair. I was away from my usual mic setup. I was traveling, which is why the audio sounds a bit different this week, but it should not affect your listening experience in any way. I just wanted to flag it before we jump in, and without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg Lefauf. And I am uh, producer Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Crane Graham, sitting in for Lorian today. Who is with her daughter for graduation. So exciting. Um, Today, we are thrilled to be chatting with writer-director Susan Busa Leshner. She's the writer and director of the audio drama, The American Immortal, and the history podcast, The Wild Wild Death. She's done script writing for NBC, Hallmark, and Cosgrove Mirror Productions, and is a former James A. Missioner Fellow in screenwriting. She's also the co-founder of 2222 Media, and she teaches writing at Texas State University. Susan, we're thrilled to have you. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I just am so excited to talk to you about creating an audio drama. I have so many questions, and I had so much fun listening to it. My oh, my. I've gotten in great shape because I've gone out listening to your podcast. We might have <laughs> to um, make you I'm walk so faster funny. on the on the uh, on the uh, exciting part. You just walk faster. <laughs> yeah, but I can't tell you how many times I'm walking in my neighborhood or whatever in the park, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Gosh, there are a lot of crickets," and I'm like, "Oh no, this is a- <laughs> no, no, no! It's because these people are in the woods, Meg." Like I just got it was so fun. I felt transported. Oh, I nice. always felt so, so Thank transported. You. Um, okay, Susan, we're gonna for you have agreed to first do our um adventures in screenwriting, aka how was your week? So okay. we'll let we'll let Jeff uh, go first. Jeff, how was your week? You know, it's funny. I'm I've been traveling and I'm on vacation and I've been doing a bit of writing. Um, but I feel like one thing I've been doing, which you talk about on the show, is just consuming great culture. Um, there's been kind of two wonderful like pop cultural artifacts I've been taking in. One of them is of course the finale of Succession. I don't know if either of you watched Succession, um, but I won't say very much because I'm sure some of our listeners don't necessarily want it spoiled. And also this episode, I don't know when it's coming out, but what I will say is we often talk on this show about, you know, of course, show don't tell. Um, and some of these rules will be very different for visual media than audio media. And we'll be getting into that later in the show, Susan. But in terms of TV and film, You know, so many of us get into writing because we love dialogue, but of course, behavior and action and sometimes silence can be the most effective way to show your characters and reveal subtext about who they are. And in the last five minutes of succession, there's hardly any speaking. Um, And I want to keep things vague, but there's one handhold and anyone who's seen the show (laughs) knows exactly what I'm talking about that I think might be the most perfect example of show don't tell. So anytime a writer comes to me and says like, what do you mean when you say show don't tell in your writing? I just want to say, watch the season finale of Succession. And when this character holds this person's hand, watch every single thing they're doing. And it tells you exactly what they mean, how they feel and what their future is. And what it makes me really want to do is read that final script and see how Jesse Armstrong wrote that specific line of action, because I think it just reveals so much. So that's one piece of pop culture I've been taking in. And then the other thing, I don't know if either of you are gamers or have been reading much about uh, video games and the trades, but there's this game that came out called The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And it's been getting a ton of coverage and like huge human interest publications like The Atlantic and The New Yorker for being like just this sort of genre defining milestone, kind of like the godfather of video games. So it's been very interesting from a story perspective. And again, I won't get too much into it, but 
if I'm going to take a lesson away, the game is just purely committed to having as much fun as possible with the mechanics of the game. And what it reminds me of is in our script, we always want to be aiming for deep themes and interesting ideas, but it has to be fun. And as Javi says, don't stop the fun train. I feel like with both the succession finale and this new game I'm playing, the fun train has not been stopped. So I'm feeling very inspired. Oh, yeah, well, that was that was uh, that was pretty profound. I'm not as interesting as that right now. Um, I've been <laughs> in the middle of building a butterfly garden in my backyard um, because I've been writing a whole lot. And so I sort of needed a break. And I have to for me, I have uh, I have to have time to walk around for a while um, because I'm about to start writing season two of this particular show, The, the American Immortal. But I've also been writing. um all of the stuff that we're saying for the wild, wild death. And um, I, that's a show that has not come out yet, but it's about um, the, what we say in the trailer is um, that it's the story of the West is the story of the survivors. And our story is about the people who did not survive. So that stuff um, it, to write a lot about death, a whole lot. <laughs> um, I had to have to take a pause, but I I've been reading, uh, listening to um, watching, not listening to uh, a small light. The story about the people who um, took care of the Frank family. Um, it's, I think it's on National Geographic. That was very touching, uh, and it's interesting to to watch a different side of a story that you think you know well. Oh yeah, great, yeah. And then I watched uh, Mrs. Maisel, and the last, uh, you know, that was one. I'm like, can you do it? Can you have a really good final episode? And I think they did, but I was very blown away by the the long shots that they, that they made. Um, but it also, I, I liked the way that they kept the essence of the characters, even as they aged. Um, and I, I was excited about that. The thing about that show that's interesting to me is, and this is no disrespect to, to the writers. If you're familiar with it, she's plays a comedian, a stand-up comedian. And I've thought about what she says when she does stand up. Has anybody watched that? It's, not particularly funny. No. Right. But the way that it's written, it's as if it's funny. We're to yes. understand that it's funny. And it didn't matter to me that it wasn't funny. You know, yeah. and I think I don't know. It how is to- a hat trick they pull off. Yeah, it is. But I think whenever you write about comedians, you know, anything that's funny is in the moment. And, you know, what what they're using is the, the quote unquote stand up in order her, for her to say something about herself, mm. in order to provide some sort of inner monologue, in, but she gets to say it instead. But I, I think it's very interesting that none of the, the the comedy stuff she's done has ever been funny to me. Well, whenever you do a, a movie or TV show or any kind of story about an artist that's not music, because music, you can actually experience the art in the yeah. story, right? If, if it's a TV or a movie. But it's like it's like doing a movie about a painter because so many of your audience are going to be like, I don't think that's so good. <laughs> like, like, absolutely, absolutely. Um, my week, uh, my I had my friend Bonnie and her wife Kim over for dinner, and my teenage sons joined us for the first time. I don't know, I'm not sure if I've ever had people over for dinner and had my kids at at this age, and my um oldest son. Aiden is home from college and he they said of course how was your first year of college and he told them a story that just went on and on 
and, uh, and I, he said later, he goes, Ma, I just kept looking at you and you're looking at me like, let's go, let's go, let's go, hurry up, let's go. And I can't help it. It's like a pitch to me. It's like he, they, they don't. And so we sat down and had a conversation about it. And part of it, I think, is age. I think at the, at, uh, you know, until you're in your mid to late 20s, that frontal lobe isn't kicking on to really kind of grasp all the subtleties that are happening. But I think that at a young age and sometimes longer, people, when they tell a story, are literally thinking like he's thinking about himself and what happened and the details. And he's almost talking to himself mm-hmm. about the story. Yeah. Whereas I'm trying to teach him or just bring to light you're should you look at Bonnie and see is she engaged? You're trying to get her to be in your story. You're actually telling an audience a story. And it seems so simple, right? But it's a huge shift in the brain to and some people do it naturally, um, but especially at a younger age, you don't. And he just started giggling because he was like, I don't I don't know if I can do it because if I look at you, I remember I'm talking to an audience. But as soon as I look away, I kind of float off into my own thought process of everything I was thinking that day. And I was like, OK, you just have to work on it. You just have to be aware. I guess in a way I'm teaching him to pitch, but it is so important to be present with the audience, both in your writing and I'm not saying necessarily in early drafts, but eventually you have to be thinking how your audience, both as a reader and as in the eventual movie, what does this mean to them? Are they with you? How are you, uh, as George Saunders says, boiling the pot, boiling the water? Um, so that was just a fun little moment of taking my son aside and saying, yeah, we, we got to teach you to tell a verbal story, dude, because, uh, I mean, he can, by the way. I think he got nervous, and when you get nervous, you really start to think, Think about yourself more than the audience that you're speaking to. Um, and the last thing I want to clarify something because I've been talking to someone and I realized that, um, and actually on our Patreon, when we had people pitch stories, I realized that often in this show, I talk about want. And um, I want to make sure that when I personally talk about want or ask you a question about the want in your story, I literally mean the narrative question. I mean the plot want. Because sometimes people will say, well, she wants to get over the fact that her mother died before she could ever, no, 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 that's internal stuff. I literally want to know what is the plot driver? Why do I care about it? Why do I want it for them as badly as they want it? Because suddenly now the next question is, what are the stakes to getting it was the conflict to it like what is that want that narrative want that you're going to align me with in act one and sometimes it's easy if it's a survival movie yeah what would we want to not die <laughs> it's like yeah. some some genres have baked in wants that are pretty great and and easy but even though you're going to have to align me to that why should i care if they die or not um you know, my son is writing a road movie this summer. And that's even actually a harder want because to come up with an original want to drive that road movie that feels still authentic and real, um, not not an easy thing to do. Um, So just something to clarify, because it came up like three times um, where when I asking you, what does your character want? I literally mean if it's a feature in act one, like a bank robber wants to rob the bank. That's the want. Um, so those are my two little side things that came up this week, but let's get to Susan. Cause that's the fun stuff. Well, i got a question for you before we do that. Yeah. Do you differentiate between want and need? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people in the last, 
I don't know, five years or so, especially in the teaching community, talk about need a lot. Um, and I think they've completely forgotten about want and the clarity of that want and how quickly you have to align the audience to that want and then hold that ball in the air. That's the thing we have to learn first. What do they want versus what do they need? Sometimes yeah, they get and, want. and people are getting mixed up about that. And in a weird way, for certain writers, of course, their brains are very, they go outside in. And so that plot want is easy to come up with. And then their struggle is uh, imbuing that want with all the psychological subtext and need and wound and all that stuff. Whereas other writers um, really delve into the want and delve, excuse me, into the need and the psychology and what's happening, but they've forgotten the want and yeah. how that is the driver of the story period. And like, it's why I'm watching because the rest, otherwise it's just kind of a slice of life. Let's kind of delve into well, a person. In, in, as a teacher, what I get is I ask what the story's about and they'll tell me something about something eternal, inter internal, sorry, not eternal, internal. And I'm going, yeah, but what's the story? You know, what are they doing? What does he want? He wants to rob the bank, but you're telling me what he wants is he wants his mother to love him. Great. But I, you know, that's, that's not, that's not going to connect. Well, me the bank. Yeah. And so often you can get an, especially in early drafts, you can get so lost in the, because it is hard to dig out that internal subtextual stuff and emotional character arc. And, you know, you get, but you can get so lost in that in act one. Yeah that you're like, um, the story hasn't started. <laughs> like, where's the story? Right. Uh, the story has to start immediately as fast as you can. Even if the plot want hasn't arrived, that person has a problem, right? So right. Um, it's just something that it's a balancing act. I go back and forth. One draft will have not a strong enough narrative drive. And the next one will have lost a little bit of the thread of emotion, emotionally, what is this about? So it's a balance. You go back and forth, but um. Just wanted to clarify. So, Susan, yes. Um, can we talk a little bit about moving over into an audio drama from your past experience um, yep. in the industry? And you know, having that past experience in the industry, did it help or push you towards audio? You know, what 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 what's what are you thinking? Well, yeah, the past experience I have in the industry. It, so it gives you confidence you can do it but what I what the reason I walked over there was because I had a really big story and it was it's one that you know I had talked to you about kind of like 20 years ago a long time ago um but I it required a big gatekeeper in order to get it done and I didn't have time to wait for a gatekeeper to say you because it might take 10 years or more for them to decide yeah right because yeah, you can work in the industry, but you have to have enough track record to, for someone to go, yes, $200 million, here you go, right? So what happened was I wanted to tell that story and I just didn't want to wait for anybody to point their magic wand at me and say, yes. So I was talking to my business partner, Leslie, a producer on this this morning going, how did I come up with that? And she said, you know, you wrote a funny email saying, why don't we do an audio drama about beavers or something like that? You know, but <laughs> I had, I wanted to tell the story, but I, it was a great big story and, and potentially a very expensive story. And so at the start of the pandemic, I went, let's do this. You know, so I just wrote everybody an email and I thought it was going to be simple. Um, it wasn't complicated, but it was more, it was more complex than I was expecting. 
and for all the right reasons and for all the good outcome, right? So that's kind of when I moved over. I just didn't want any more waiting or gatekeeper because you can send a script to somebody and it can be a fabulous script, but if they only like sci-fi or if they only like, you know, stories about dystopia, you have to find the person that likes exactly what you like. And that takes a while to do. Instead, I could just tell it. You know, awesome. And, and of course, work. if it's going to cost a lot of money, there's so many other things that come into factor. Right. Like what are they, you know, who wants, who's attached and what is the package? And then you spend years and years and years trying to put a package right. together. Yeah. Right. I totally so, get that. Why don't you just tell your story? I think I had gotten the idea when I think about it now, there's a, there's a writer director named Jim Cummings who did, I've done a number of things. And one of them, he did um, Thunder Road, which I was very I love. I love that movie. It's brilliant. It's, so I had been reading something that he had done and he sort of previews all of his films himself by recording all the audio in his closet. Do you know, you know, and I thought I have a closet. Um, so I wanted to tell the story and it felt like the time was now. And then we came into the pandemic and as Meg knows, I was about to get married and we wound up having our wedding on Zoom and it changed how I thought about everything. So it's, that's how I kind of arrived. That's, you know, you just sort of one day talking to people about notes on their story. That's kind of how it was. I just sat down and just wrote it all on the fly. So amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I love the can do spirit. Let's just <laughs> do it. Let's just do it. Yeah. So, and you know, nowadays, Back that versus back in the ye old old time olden times, you can do it. You can do it. You can you can take your phone out and shoot a short. You can do this. And again, it will always be more complex and harder than you think. Yeah. But it's doable. It is doable. Now the you other, talk about. Go ahead. The other thing about it was, you know, when you do a film or you have a screenplay and you try to get it places like a contest or this or getting people to look at it. The other thing was that in addition to there was no barriers to creating it. There's no barriers to distributing it. Now, a major challenge is getting people to listen to it, but you can just get it completely out there. So that was the other big attraction. Yeah, great point. So I, what I was struck by is um, that you're still, I, I can, you're still a feature writer in that it's still very visual. It's not like we have two people in a room, you know, uh, old audio 1940s drama, right? right. It's you're right. still out in the West. There's still bears and wolves and, uh, all kinds of stuff going on that is very filmic. So I'm interested in, um, you know, the audio drama's power. Um, in okay, that so sense. here's what here's what I was thinking about this, and I, I now that we're also doing Wild Death, I I have a, a, an opinion about this. Um, Wild Death is a history podcast. We just talk about we just tell a story about something that happened. Audio drama is a very intimate form of entertainment. You are telling a story directly into someone's ear and they become, you're, you, you're, you're trying to get them to become a partner in your storytelling because they have to imagine how everything and everyone looks and feels and the audience does become your partner in creating that mental landscape. And that's what I make, I think what makes it extremely powerful because you and the audience are together creating this to happen. Um, 
Audio dramas provide the drama and the feeling you get from watching movies, but they leave the visual aspect to your imagination. So I was telling Jeff the other day, if you screenplays are like, if you can't hear it and you can't see it, it isn't there. But audio scripts are like, if you can't hear it, you can't see it. So I, I think that the difference is back in radio days and all of that, there'd be a narrator explaining where you are. I think that the audiences were very sophisticated in terms of entertainment. So I don't have to explain how things work. I don't have, you know, back in the days they would have an older film and Jimmy Stewart walking down the street and saying hi to officer this and doing all that. He'd walk all the way down the street. Then he'd open the door to the brownstone. Then he'd go up the stairs and knock on the door and Lana Turner would open going, where have you been? Right now you just have him open the door and she said, where you been? Right. But you needed all that prior to, to ramp up the audience to what you, what was going on. But now you could just open the door and the audience goes, oh, he walked there, right? So you're taking that experience with the writer into audio drama. There's some other things you have to do, but you have to create a universe that surrounds the listener, that they're in it because you're not just watching it at a distance on your couch or you know at the theater, you're in the middle of it, right? It's just like you said, I was walking along and I thought there were a lot of crickets. You're in it, right? So that's what I think it makes it every bit as powerful as a feature film experience. It, it is super intimate experience. I, I I don't think I've ever listened to a uh, fiction audio. I've listened to docs and um, yeah. lots of other interview, interview shows, but I, this is my first time listening to fiction. And um, your sound mixer and your and your audio special effects sound person, it must be incredibly important now because they are the painters. You know, the way in animation, the storyboard artists become the camera, they set camera sometimes and they become the actor because they're drawing it. It felt like, oh, well, that so much of this um, feeling, this intimacy and the storytelling because... I know a bear's there because I hear a bear growl and I hear a bear growl in a certain way. And then somebody calls that bear Brian and you're like, I'm not even sure what's going on, but I can be in this moment. So how did you, I want to get into actually writing the audio, but it feels like the production is so, so important. How was that process for you of, did you pick every single thing? Did you work with someone? How did you do? Well, um, when I first started writing it, I'm writing what they do just because I'm saying they cross the river. Not I'm knowing that I'm, we're not going to show them crossing the river. Now, as I got into it, I would go river horses, you know, horse hooves splashing across, right? You know, because when they do from sound from right to left, you know, I would say across. And that means pan right to left, so that there's movement. But the audio drama really is dialogue plus ambience plus sound effects. Um, that creates the visuals. That, those are the three components that you have. Um, sound effects tell you what's happening. Ambience tells you where you are. Dialogue tells you what's going on, right? And also tells you the emotion, the feeling of the characters and stuff. So those three things cannot be separated from each other um, in order to really create an immersive experience. Now, there's a lot of successful shows that, you know, they have like something that stands in for the narrator, which is, you know, I'm a reporter or I'm a psychiatrist, you know, or I'm driving along and just by chance I'm doing, you know, an audio narration of me driving along, right? You can go with that story, but 
let's say you're driving along, you still have the ambiance of the road and the truck and those things that put you there, right? So it's a, I've kind of lost the thread of your original question, but to, to get right down to it, they're inextricable, inextricable from doing this. Right. right. So are you actually going out and picking those takes? Yes. Are you working with the sound person? You know, no, I was the sound person. You were the sound person. Yeah. What happened was um, we had a certain amount of money, but th the scale of the project was more than the person I like to work with. It wasn't a fair amount for him to get paid and we had to do it. So I was like, well, I'll just learn how to do it. So, so I did. There comes that complexity you were talking about. <laughs> Yeah. But you know what? It became part of writing. And I do recommend um, if 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 you're going to do this to at least go through one episode of doing it and not just sit next to the to the sound person, but really picking it out and deciding where it goes, because that is a component of the writing. So in this particular case, there's writing it on paper. Um it really wasn't a writing experience in the in the acting part of it because they really did not go off script. Um, but then there's the writing component of it when you get into the editing in which we add where we are, what's going on and all of that. And that becomes not a directing component, but it also becomes, like I say, the writing component because it's part of the story because it's it tells you where you are. It explains things. It, it also puts the emotion in things and you have to have it. I think in terms of all of that, you're creating an aural uh landscape so that the audience knows where they are. I just want to quickly second what you're saying, Susan. I, like you, I sort of love the indie route as an option to get things made. And I just took a feature from, you know, writing to distribution. And similarly, I was going to have someone else cut the film. And, yeah. you know, if we had, I would have, but instead I just learned how to cut it myself. And um, there is so the education that you get by, being a project through every phase of production is just so valuable. So, you know, I, I tell writers, you know, even if your real dream is to be writing, shooting a short on a cell phone and just walking it all the way through each phase of production, you will learn so much as a storyteller. And I'm sure as you're approaching season two, you're even seeing it in a more three-dimensional way on the page because you've been through the whole thing with season one. Right. And, and you know, that was a great experience. If I, if, if we have the finances to hand it over to somebody, you bet I will. Um, but, but, uh, it, it does teach you a lot about whether this writing works or not, because you become distant from it in some ways, you, you become objective toward it in some ways while you're at, while you're editing. And so all of a sudden you can hear, they said this four times, you know, we already know this information. Um, and, and there's sort of the, uh, staying with it enough to where you hear it a different way is really valuable in terms of learning how to write a story. Does this work? Because if you ears get tired of hearing it, you know, that it, then it, it probably needs to go away. I mean, the other hat trick you have to pull off or thing you have to balance is you are having to, you know, the old adage show don't tell. Well, sometimes you're, you do have to tell. You do have to put in that dialogue that on a feature page, we'd all be like, no, 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 no. I can see it. Why is she saying that? Well, you and, to, but you you kind of, you have to literally like say, why do you have a knife in your hand or whatever? Because I can't see it. So I thought that was so hard to, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to, to be uh, careful. Yeah. You have to be careful of, of doing like a data dump. You know, it's like walking along and then you go, well, here we are in the elevator because no one would ever say that, right? So if the trick isn't, and I I, tr- I think I was as successful as I could be this time around. I, You can always do better, I suppose. But to think about, would they naturally say something like this? Can I write the scene or direct, or edit the scene in such a way where this seems like a natural thing to say? So I don't know if you've gotten to this episode or not, but they're walking along, the main two main characters walking along in a trading post and you can hear the sounds, you know where you are. And they've also said, we're going to be going to trade these things at a trading post. You know this from a previous episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that it works very well. You, right. The but way he, you're but setting says, it up. So when they get there, you know where we are. Yeah. Right. But he, but he also then says, this is a smaller trading post. So we're not going to get as much as we could have gotten at the rendezvous, which was more natural dialogue than saying, well, here we are. It's trading post. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's the hat trick you're pulling off constantly. Yeah. All the time. Um, yeah. All the time. And almost every scene you're having to do some version of that to, to anchor us and then add into on top of this layer cake of challenge and, and hat tricks, you're creating a world with its own rules. Um, yeah, it's it's a sci-fi western. I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil anything for people. But, um, and those rules are being discovered as we go, and they're shifting as we go because suddenly you have to figure out who told you that rule, etc. Um, or if they're boy, telling the that, truth, that's just you, you. You know, Susan Booth, as usual, you bit off a lot <laughs> to well, take on your first project in audio. But, you know, think about it, though. I've been thinking about this story for quite a long time, you know, but part of this is, yeah, you're making up the rules um, and then you're deciding which characters. uh, Yeah, I don't know if you've gotten to the end or not, which characters. I got to the end of this season, so it's not the end of the story. Um, I don't know where where we're going, but. um, We may not be telling you the truth. Right. You know, um, so so there's that and um yes i kind of know where things are going but i'm making up the rules as they go along as they the main character is learning what they are and they're very absurd really there's there's very absurd rules where you're going what you know um and they're and they're questioning that as well that also gives you an opportunity to do some exposition because they're going what does this mean right so right 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 um, yeah can we talk about um just your development process, writing this, writing for audio, uh, an audio narrative um, show. Do we call it a show? Is it what? Yes. It's, it's an audio show. show. That's like my grandma used to say, I want to watch my my programs. It's an audio program. Um, program, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So did you outline, did you write multiple drafts? How long is an audio episode is in terms of page count? You know, what, what can you, what insight can you give for anybody out there who wants to try this? Okay. So I'm showing you my book because I thought, oh, these are all really short. And then we printed them all. It turned out to be very big. Um, I, I'm a very big component of outlining. So I outlined what things were going to be. And then I also wrote um, a whole piece about what it meant um, where it was going, what the different things they did meant, uh, just for me, just a prose thing, what, what, what it was, what it actually was in the underneath about in, in addition to what was happening, what it was about so that I understood what I was talking about. 
that I wouldn't lose the thread of that. And do you remember Donna Cooper? Do you remember her? She she was at Cine Story long ago, like early on, and she has this thing called um, the this the, where you created one word that told you what you were writing about. So if you're writing along, you don't forget that what your act your action verb is. You're writing about revenge, right? So I worked on that, but I outlined every every scene, every episode, and then I re-outlined it in sequences. And then I would write the draft and then I would go back to the outline to see if it worked, or then I would just outline certain sections that I didn't feel really worked. So um, it was back and forth between that. And then um, my son is an actor and my, my business partner. So we would all sit down and talk through the episode and Jack, my son is very experienced in, you know, cause he's, he's a trained actor in the, in the what's on the page and all of that. But my producer really is not. So I had both of those points of view that were really, it's really helpful to get somebody who isn't a quote unquote writer or an actor giving you an opinion about it because that's really your audience, right? It's nice to write for other writers, but your audience is somebody who doesn't really care about outlining and story structure that are is it entertaining do i know what's going on do i care right so every episode was back and forth about that originally it was eight episodes but we combined some episodes but yeah um did that, it look on the page like a feature script or a tv script or is it its own thing are you actually putting in sound effects into the script as you're writing it yeah so there really isn't a as far as I know, I, this is the template and this is the way you write audio drama. So there is a BBC format, which is like two columns, which is sound effects, dialogue, then scene two, sound effect, you know, back and forth between that. It's very simple. I think that's a great format. That's just not the one I happen to use. I use screenplay format. So at first I was doing things like, you know, they you know, they ride across the river, but then I went to river horse hooves, you know, that's eventually that's what I, what I wound up doing. So at first it was like more visual than I think it should have been. Do you think that this is a viable way for a proof of concept for a movie or do you feel like it's just so different? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. One of the, the, the pros of this is it's something that stands on its own, but it's also something that shows you that this works. You know, it's a very expensive way to show that it works if you can attract an audience, not only does it work, these 10,000, these 200,000 people listen to it, you're, up, you're proving that it's a viable idea. But the other component of it is it's, it's, a, it's a form that lends itself to a lot of other forms. So yes, you could take it into television, which I think they did with Homecoming and I think with Limetown and something else. Um, and then you could, with varying degrees of success, I think. And then you could also then novelization you could do it with that you could make a graphic novel at it you could do it live you know you could spin it off with just in particular characters it is it's a it's what they, i would call a transmedia project you could do it a lot of different ways you know my feeling is if you can do it as a puppet show you're good it would work on anything i think it's really smart and it is you know it's it can be hard sometimes to get I'm just being in your shoes, Susan, and it's slightly different, but it's easier to get meetings when you have something tangible to show people. And, you know, I think we talk a lot on this show about like, how do I actually 
quote, break in? How do I get meetings? And of course, there's no tried and true answer. And it is nice when you have something that can stand on its own and generate reviews and send a link and just say like here, there's at least some kind of container besides just pages that you can forward to someone to experience your work rather than just read it. Right. I, I think the other, yes, the other part of that is the gatekeeper part. Everybody's waiting for someone to point the magic wand at them. And really at this stage, fuck it. Because I, I don't have time for that crap. I don't have time. What I want to do is make something. Yes, I want to make millions of dollars. That's true. But I can't wait for that and not do anything while somebody else gives me the thumbs up. You know, I, I'm supposed to be making something. In addition to doing this prior to this, I had, I'm still writing, you know, in my screenwriting life, but I also created because I, I just wanted to see if I could write children's musicals. And so I created a, with a, with a partner, a theater company for children. And I wrote nine musicals and then I found uh, musicians in certain, you know, forms of like glam rock or country or whatever it is and went to them with, here's my songs on my phone. I will send it to you as an audio link. I'm just singing it. You know, sometimes I knew the chord and then they would translate it into the music and we put on nine shows. I mean, and they all did very well. And you're though, then being very much a producer, right? Like you're getting your actors, you're finding the space to record, you're, you're becoming a producer in order to do this too. Both sides of, I did producing and um, the writing and the directing. I, my, my partner then, you know, make sure that we had kids enrolled and all that stuff. I didn't have to take care of that part. But what I did have to do is when you, you have at that kind of thing, you're, you have to work with who is there. You know, so if you wrote a show for 10 characters and 30 people show up, that changes how you write it. And they're varying degrees of- And you're talking about the musical now, but yeah, for the audio drama, where did you find your actors? Did you audition? Are they yeah. friends? Did we you had, record them on Zoom? Did you get them into a booth? How did you uh, How did you do it? Okay, so we found our actors. We had my son, um, already was writing for him. Uh, I knew another actor, Craig Nye, who you met- at Austin Film Festival, um, and he wanted he was working on something, and I knew who I want wanted him to play. He's going to become more important in season two. I was looking for an actor for uh, the auto character, and we had auditioned people, but I didn't like who we who, we put out an audition call, and he recommended this guy David Lee Hess, who's wonderful, and he was in L.A. and then we auditioned and we got the character who plays Nuna in Austin. We tried to audition a lot of different people. It just, you know, part of it is who was willing to do it, you know, and you got the best person you could. But in terms of- And are of, you paying them or are you giving them back end or something? Or how, how are, are you, you're having to do contracts, I would assume. Right, we do contracts, right. And and if I, the people that get paid, when they get paid will be them first. Um, so as soon as there's money, they will get it. Um, uh and how do you earn money on this kind of thing? Are do you eventually, if you get enough listens, get ads, or how does yeah. how does it work? Like what? Yeah. How do you market it? What's the what's the 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 revenue stream? Well, just like yours, it would be um, advertising. It would be Patreon. Um, it could be live events. It could be special stuff. We are still working on that side of things. But you, in order to get 
sponsorships, you do have to have a certain number of monthly downloads. You have to ensure that you have at least a thousand monthly downloads every month in order to do that. A part of that comes with the number of episodes you have. So if we had hundred episodes, it'd be a lot easier than just having six. So that's one of the reasons that we're also doing the wild, wild death, because we can do a gajillion of those. Um, and it'll serve as the sort of a, a gateway back over to the American immortal to get that done. But we're still, I'm not an expert on that. We're still working on that, that, that side of things. But in terms of like actors and how we did it, um, well, let me say we are doing really well on my, on our downloads and that day is coming, but, but in terms of the, how we got it together, um, we remember that we did this during the pandemic. So we recorded every single thing during the pandemic. So we have an actor in New York and another one in LA and a whole kind of like company of actors that do all kinds of different voices in Austin, but we could not be together. So I think I was only in the room with an actor one time. Um, we did it using Zencaster, which allowed us to record in real time and everybody could see each other. And um, that's how we did it. The challenge of that is the audio quality sometimes was different from recording to recording. That was the very big challenge. I'm just so taken with this, Susan, because I think it's such a smart, it's such an important consideration for our listeners. And, you know, one thing we talk about on the show all the time is we think of ourselves like a toolbox and we have a hundred different tools in the toolbox and our listeners can take and use whichever tools they want. And I'm putting myself in the shoes of our listeners right now. And I suspect some of them might've gone into this thinking like, I'll never make an audio drama. I'm just a writer. But so much of what you're saying, even just as an experiment, like a thought experiment mm -hmm. is valuable foundation for our audience. Like, I think, you know, I'm a big advocate of trying to shoot your own stuff and make it. But even that, I understand why people are so intimidated by that. You have to understand cameras and lenses. And, you know, that can feel like a very scary endeavor. But an even less expensive, equally generative option is this audio drama idea. Yeah. I still think you're learning a lot of the same lessons that will just benefit you so much on the page. You know, I just think if you ever have the chance to get with actors and hear their words in your mouth, hear your words in their mouth, it will really reshape the way you approach the page for your next project. So I just really encourage our listeners to be thoughtful about what you're talking about here, because I think it's really interesting and possibly helpful for them even as screenwriters. So let me just say that there's a difference between, this is not what you said, but as you're saying here and here and getting with actors and listening to it, there's a difference mm -hmm. between a table read mm -hmm. and doing this. Because I have found table reads, sometimes I'm very focused on what I see on the page and right. I have a hard time backing up and hearing what it really sounded like. Um, but when I got into this and then I had the takes, then I was met messing with it to see, if, you know, we did multiple takes. Suddenly I, I could really hear what it sounded like. And the beauty of this, and we fortunately did not have to do this very often at all. If we had to re-record something, it was inexpensive to do. I didn't have to get the whole crew back out. Right. Right. But actually hearing it with the sound effects, does this work? Is there an emotional component? One of the things that as we got into it, I saw how important a score was, you know, um, that it added that level, um, even if the performance was great, it added mm -hmm. that component that lifted it to another level, but it was in the editing 
that's where I found out where this really worked or not. Mm, 100%. Can I ask in terms of scoring, did you use just royalty free? Like were you using Audio Jungle yeah. or Art? I just think like these, this could be interesting for audience to learn about. So we we used uh, Tune Pocket and we did okay. pay for the rights to do it. And they have some fantastic stuff. You know, right. I think, you know, I, my husband is a musician and I was a musician and we know a lot of musicians, but there is that cost to do all of that. That would be ideal. But I know people who've done stuff and they, they have a friend who can just really play things on the synthesizer and do a lot of stuff and they have an have a original score and that's a good, another way to go as well. And you give another creative person an opportunity. Absolutely. Cool. That's good to know. Now let's just talk real quick about American Immortal itself. And I know you had this rolling around in your head for a long time and you said you picked a word. Can you share the word with us? What do you think? Well, the themes are really kind of by season. So the first season of this show is about accepting consequences and shifting ideas about what reality might actually be. And so in upcoming seasons, we'll explore different themes. And so what did you want to talk about? Like why, you know, of all the things you could do, why? And, you know, it, of course, it became more complex than you realized to actually get it up on its feet. But why this one? Why this story for you? I wanted to talk about what it would be like, how important life is. What if you always had it? What if you could never lose it? What would you do? I wanted to talk about whether that would be an empowering experience or a lonely experience. But I also wanted to talk about the impact one person could make on history. And that is why I started it so far back in 1825. I'd like to go as long as I could go. I know what the ending is already. Um, but I wanted to talk about if you could do anything, if you could live any lives or multiple lives, what would your impact on things be, right? If you could do anything and there were no consequences and you could not die, you know, what is it, how empowered would you be? And at the same time, what would you lose in order to be that empowered? Because there's something to lose. Now if you did this with your son. Yeah. Uh, how was that having a creative fabulous the was fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. i have a feeling it might be in my future so tell me about it it was great he um he had already you know he's graduated from college and he had some experience and stuff um so i the way we did it was he was like another partner so yes he called me mom and stuff but i never imposed my experience on him did he, just, did he just act or did he write or what, what we else? We didn't did do any do? writing. He was in the room when we got notes and stuff, but he didn't do any writing. Um, uh, I gave, I listened to his feedback, just like we'd listen to anybody's feedback. And what was great about that is that I suddenly, I, I, just, I saw myself as a person, as him, as a person, you know, I was, I was interacting with him as a colleague and that was that was fantastic. But he's smart and he had smart things to say. And he he wasn't just talking. He I just I, you know, I really appreciated his his talent. It was awesome. I would work with him any day of the week. He's he's he was fabulous. He's funny. He brought a lot to the stage, but he played the role he was supposed to play. But he had if he had um, some feedback to give, he would give it. 
you know, so there was none of that mother son, you know, friction going on um, because I came into it like this is my colleague, you know, who calls me mom. So awesome. I was that one of the best things about this whole thing. I got to spend a ton of time with him. It was, it, he's funny. He was great. I was proud. Oh, I you know, love it. Awesome. Yeah. It was an awesome experience and I didn't have to teach him a damn thing. He was great. So good. As I love family dramedies. It's like what it's like my go-to kind of, it's a thematic that shows up on my work and I would totally listen and love the audio drama about the mother and son trying to put together their own project and like what's going <laughs> I know we'd have to make it a little more conflict uh <laughs> yeah no well my son is like my my kids in general um I don't know how I appear to them but obviously I'm fucking hilarious to them and both of my kids and I say this truthfully could get up and do a one man show about me um I don't know why. Um, so no, he would do all that. I mean, he he would go up and just imitate me the way I talk and all of that stuff to where he just, it's hard. It's just, you know, I'm like, stop, you know? And he's like, ha, 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 you know, it's very funny. So I don't think it would be conflict necessarily. It would be more like, um, here's what happens when you have creative kids and you let that cat out of the bag. You know, what monster have you created? You know, <laughs> what happens if your kids go totally free to say anything to you in a creative and, and expect to be your creative equal? And at what point do you go, all right, that's enough of that. Now I'm mom again. You know, stop. Exactly. I had a moment I, with my son where I said something and I literally saw I could I could read his mind. That's going in a movie someday. I yeah. see it I'm like crap. Can I can I just add a couple of things about? Yeah. Uh, uh, the writing in particular that I, I don't think we got a chance to talk about, but I feel like it's important if somebody wants to know, I think, you know, there's these prawns, these, these pros about inexpensive and gatekeepers and all of that, but challenges are this, um, you have to create, and I, maybe I've already said this, a vocal identity for each character. This is very critical to the success of this. It's not only the way the character sounds, but the verbal cues and the attitudes he has, the, the language that he uses those are very important. And I have heard other audio dramas where I don't know who's talking, you know, and there are audio dramas with stars in them. And I don't know who's talking, right? It's not only as on the production level of somebody's voice sounds different. It's clearly different than somebody else's voice, but the, the phrases and the language that character uses belong to that character, their speed and their, and their, and their attitude and their talking belong to that character. And that is what I would say the number one critical thing that needs to be known in order for this to be successful. Second thing is the number of characters in a scene needs to be low, like two or three. Now I have a sense in some scenes where there's a lot of people in the space, you know, and they'll say, you know, bring them to us, but they don't have a lot of lines. Two or three is about all you can do. I have one scene where there's four and that was a lot of juggling of balls and some characters didn't talk very much in that scene. Um, you've got to understand the sound of the world. You've got to, uh, watch out for repetition of information, accidental monologues. And I've talked about solo, solo scenes. I may have talked about here how hard that is because if you have show, don't tell, then you can see somebody sitting in a chair feeling overwhelmed by what just happened, but you can't do that in audio drama. So you have these solo scenes and it's very difficult to do because talking to yourself is not a normal way to do way that I sort of handled this is I noticed that I had set up 
something where they talk to the animals like, you know, good Molly or well, little Bill or whatever was. And I use that, the fact that it was common for them to do that at the end so that our main character could have someone to talk to. Anyway, those are my big takeaways. Those are great. So smart. There's one more quick point of reflection. I think like there's something so valuable here about dialogue and we talk, you know, there's that really challenging thing as screenwriters that we get commissioned with sometimes, which is if you could pull any line of dialogue out of your script, would your reader be able to know who said that line of dialogue? And I think that's probably especially important in an audio drama. And Meg so brilliantly talks on the show about how as a thought exercise, like try writing your movie as a silent movie where no one speaks yeah. without the drama. It's sort of the flip side, but I think it's an equally valuable thought exercises. Can you make your dialogue so distinctive and character oriented that without the aid of visuals, your reader can know exactly who's speaking. So it's kind of the flip side of that coin Meg brings up. But I think another thought experiment to think about, especially for those, I would say if you're a listener who struggles with dialogue, pushing yourself towards writing an audio drama might be an interesting way to yourself out of your comfort zone because it's such a dialogue driven medium yeah but different than playwriting because playwriting is all you know long monologues and stuff it's just had it has to be like screenwriting but it's essential but if we had to pick up one line a dialogue out of this um just to even talk about what the show is about mine probably would be um the only thing permanent is death and sometimes not even then <laughs> awesome Susan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We always end with the same three questions, so we're going to do that. Right. Um, so, Susan, what brings you the most joy when it comes to your creative life? What brings me joy is that I have created the freedom for myself to take risks and try a lot of different ways to tell story and have been pretty successful at it. And that would as that that is what brings me joy. And then um, Susan, what pisses you off about your creative life? Uh, the fact that um, there's a sense of of um, you could be aged out. Uh, that makes me furious. That somehow when you reach past forty, and I mean if you're very successful, that wouldn't really be an issue. But their sense of being aged out uh, makes me really mad. There's a sense that uh, as a female, that your experience doesn't matter once you reach, once you pass 40, that you go from being ingenue to, to relevant grandmother. Um, and all of those life experiences are not being heard and they're, they're important. Here, here. Um, and the last question is, if you could go back in time to speak to your younger self, she's on the the start of her journey, her creative journey, what advice would you give her? You are being gaslit. You need to trust your instincts because you're right. Um, thanks, Susan, so much for joining us today. Uh, you can find a link to her audio drama, The American Immortal, linked in the description of the show. And I appreciate that. Thank you. That Listen, this is a big deal. This is a thing that a lot of people don't know about. They don't think of it as a thing of writing. Usually when you have successful audio dramas, it has like Brian Cox or somebody in it. And that's true. But the fact is the universe of people who listen to audio dramas, they get confused about what audio drama is. They think it's an audio book. Well, it can be, but it isn't right. It's a movie for your mind. Yeah. And it is an opportunity that's very vast 
And I, I think that if writers feel discouraged about the way things go, and they really are there to tell stories, if you're there to become wealthy, that's a whole other thing. But if you're there because you have some story that you want to tell and you're being stopped by a gatekeeper, not because you're not talented or don't have the ability, but just you're not in the realm of whatever you know story wave is going on right now and you have something to say, this is an opportunity for you to say it. And maybe mm -hmm. your audience will be hundreds of thousands and maybe it'll be 45 people who really give a damn. That's, I think, the freedom of doing things this way on the internet because the audience is splintered. You get to talk to your audience who cares about what you have to say. And hopefully it'll be a lot of people, but if you only have you know 40 true disciples, then you've been successful. You've been a mm -hmm. successful storyteller. I love that. Um, thanks, Susan, so much for joining us today. Uh, you can find a link to her audio drama, The American Immortal, linked in the description of the show. I also want to say, Susan mentioned it, but Patreon was something you mentioned about your show. And of course, we have a Patreon as well. And for those of our listeners, we talk about, we throw this word around, Patreon. Um, really what that is, is you can kind of think of it like leveling up your TSL community. So if you're one of our listeners who subscribe to our show and loves when we pop in your feed, um, there's a really fun way for you to get even more out of what we're doing with TSL. And that's joining our Patreon, which is kind of our membership community where you get to know Megan Lorian even better. Um, among other things, one of our favorite things we do is these monthly workshops. Um, some of them are Q&As, but more often we do these story workshops where our patrons, um, you know, who pay just a little amount each month can join on a Zoom with Megan Lorian and share their stories, share sort of the germination of the ideas that they have that they're working through on the page. And listen to Megan Lorian just kind of dig into story with them. And the thing that's crazy to me is every time I join a Patreon, somehow the thing I've been working about, I have my own light bulb moments and breakthroughs because... At a certain point, all the stories we're working on, hearing someone else workshop can be really valuable for us. So I'm being long-winded here, but I love it. And I think it's a really fun way to get to know both the show and Megan Lorraine even better. So that's the Patreon. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing.